Burlesque Stripped Down, episode number 48. Welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen. This is Velvet Eau Claire, your guide through all of the secrets of us, the ladies and gents, and non-binary folk behind the tassels. Now, this is a very special episode, one that I'm not going to do much aplomb and, you know, chatting beforehand. This episode, I am releasing with a very specific intention because we are right before the U.S. election. I could do a whole episode about how I feel about Donald Trump. (laughs) I could, but I won't. I won't bother you with that. It's all been said. It's all been done. Instead, today, we are going to talk about Prop 60, which is a California proposition. And I would encourage even those of you who are like, oh, I don't live in California. Oh, I don't even live in America. Mm, I'm just going to turn this off. Please think about continuing to listen. All right. Don't tune out just yet, because this, as, as we'll talk about later in the show, this has very, very real ramifications that could happen for a lot of states around the nation, and then set a precedent for nations around the globe. So please have a listen. Um, Very, very important. And as Andre mentions in a little bit, um, even if you don't live in California, you likely know someone who does. So please have a listen, especially if you're not familiar with Prop 60. Um, Have a listen to what it's all about and everything. As I mentioned, Andre. Okay, so today I'm chatting with Andre Shakti, who is an adult performer, burlesque performer, and porn performer in California. And she was kind enough to hop on on the telephone with me. Um, I will give a little side note. I do apologize for the audio quality on this call. It is not done how I normally do it over Skype with the with the recording software that I normally do, nor was it in the sound booth very clearly. This was done over a regular telephone line with a call recorder. So I do apologize. Please, please still listen. I I really think that the content that's in that's inside of this is more important than the, you know, kind of iffy quality about it. So please just bear with me. I do apologize about it. And let's have a listen. In this first little clip, Andre is going to tell us a little bit about what Prop 60 is and why it's so important. So Proposition 60 is also known, like colloquially, as the mandatory condoms in porn bill. Um, it is a bill that was introduced by a man named Michael Weinstein. He is the um, head of an organization called the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Um, they're based in Southern California. Um, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation has done an amazing amount of work and research um, in terms of giving money and resources to research and uh, development of medications um, and other technologies around uh, contracting HIV and managing HIV um, and, uh, and AIDS. Uh, however, Michael Weinstein, in the past two years or so, for reasons that are still unknown to the opposition, um, a.k.a. the porn industry, uh, has declared a personal vendetta against the porn industry and has made it his personal mission to make condoms mandatory in pornography. Um, there's kind of a history of bills um, that have been attempted to be passed, and one mandatory condom bill that was successfully passed um I'm forgetting the measure number. I don't want to say it's measure eight, but I'm, I could be wrong. Um, in LA specifically. So already when you go to Los Angeles to shoot por- pornographic content, you have to wear a condom as mandated by local law. However, currently that law does not extend outside of Los Angeles. So there was already a small victory on his end with the passing of that measure um, in LA. Michael Weinstein basically has, so I'll give you like my opinion as to like why he's 
keep targeting um, the sex industry and the porn industry in particular, and then um, I will give you like the facts, right? What I, my opinion is, it's still hearsay and conjecture, but um, so the AIDS Healthcare Foundation has been rapidly losing money over the past five, ten years, um, particularly because living with HIV is no longer a death sentence um, in our country. It hasn't been death sentence for a really long time because of the advances that we've made in um, the advances we've made in pharmaceuticals, the advances we've made in um, being able to rapidly uh, test for and diagnose cases of HIV uh, with shorter and shorter windows, incubation periods, mm-hmm. and uh, and especially with the introduction of the drug pre-exposure prophylaxis, also mm-hmm. known as PrEP or Truvada, yeah. um, which really came on the market full force. I want to say like about two or three years ago, um, it was on the market before, but the long-term research on like long-term effects started coming out and uh, and they really started throwing marketing behind it, specifically geared towards um, the MSM or men who have sex men community. Mm-hmm. Um, Truvada, however, can be utilized by everyone. Um, I myself have been on Truvada for over a year because one of my personal partners is HIV positive, and that has allowed me to have fluid bonded sex with that partner without contracting HIV with little to no side effects, um, for which I'm very grateful. Additionally, living in the state of California, if you fall into a certain income bracket, you are eligible for state-funded health insurance. Um, most people can access Truvada for free. Um, so it is becoming a very, um, not only is it an extremely effective um, and extremely accessible medication, but it is becoming more and more popular as more and more people are learning about it, which means that there are less and less cases of HIV transmission in the state of California. I mean, I would assume countrywide, but I, I don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. So naturally, a foundation that uh, benefits from HIV continuing to be a scare tactic and a um, an illness that people are terrified of and want to throw lots of money into research behind um, would lose money. So obviously, the less people contracting HIV, the more people are looking at living with HIV as more of like a normalizing thing, such as like, you know, living with diabetes, for example, or living with with, you know, another uh, lifelong disease or illness um, that can be uh, very acutely managed by um, by pharmaceutical and medical technology these days, um, the less money that the AIDS Healthcare Foundation is going to receive, the less research they're going to, you know, be able to do, and eventually um, they might even, you know, go bankrupt or not be able to be operational. So in my opinion, Michael Weinstein, who has publicly come out in the past few months uh, declaring Truvada to be a quote-unquote party drug, um, which when you think about it, you're like, why in God's name would the, the head of the AIDS Healthcare Foundation be so against this incredible and effective and accessible medication, right? Because if people start educating themselves and start utilizing it to the extent that they should, then he, his foundation might be out of business. He might be out of a job. Absolutely. So in my personal opinion and the personal opinion of many people who are fighting against this measure, that is the motivation. That is why he has such this vendetta against um, against performers being allowed to um, to use choice when it comes to the most intimate matters of their bodies, um, mm-hmm. not unlike the reproductive health rights movement. So then we look at the facts, right? So that's like, that's opinion, and now we can look at the facts. The facts are that Michael Weinstein has not agreed to meet with any member of the opposition. We have been trying for months and months and months and months to have a sit-down roundtable discussion um, moderated by an unbiased 
our moderator, who's now on either side of the argument, to talk about how together we can help engage the porn industry and empower the porn industry to be safer and to have tighter regulations around safer sex, even though our regulations that we're already utilizing are working to astronomical, you know, conclusions. Like uh-huh. we have been, we self-regulate the industry. What many people don't realize, like civilians don't realize, that porn performers, active performers, are already mandated to get tested every 14 days. Mm-hmm. We have like a very sophisticated testing system um, that uploads our test results to a an online database. And then that the database is made privy to all of the porn directors and producers and performers in the industry. So if I, for example, go get tested and flag um, positive on a test, um, my shoot, let's say, that I had in two days that would have given me $1,000 or whatever, um, gets canceled and I'm out of work. So not only is the system incredibly effective to the point where there hasn't been a documented transmission of HIV on a porn set since 2004, but we're already self-motivated to take care of ourselves because if we don't, it literally means that we're out of a job. So as you can hear, there's a lot of um, a lot of layers to this particular onion um, that um, Andre and I kind of got into in our discussion, and not least of which is the impact that it would have on porn performers. Not I'm not talking about them wearing condoms, whether or not they wear condoms. That we get into that a little bit later. But what I'm talking about is their ability to make their their livelihood, right? Their ability to make a living. Andre gets into a little bit more about what it is to be a porn performer and what this would mean for the industry in California. What a lot of private citizens don't realize, because you know, most people don't like take the time to educate themselves about the porn industry, is that most sex workers in general and including most porn performers, are middle and working class people. Like there's this, you know, either sex workers get heavily criminalized, heavily victimized, and we're painted as these like poverty-stricken, on-the-street, drug-addicted people, or we're heavily fetishized and glamorized Mm -hmm. and people see us as like constantly be like going home to flop down in our king-size beds and roll around in our like, you know, mass of $100 bills. Um, Yeah, largely like workers are bringing in anywhere between like 30000 and 60000 a year, um, <laughs> which makes them middle and working class people. So yeah. you file enough lawsuits, you incentivize private citizens to file these lawsuits, you get enough lawsuits filed against the industry, you can bankrupt the industry mm-hmm. in no time because we don't have all this money at our disposal. Right. And that is the actual reason for this bill. It is to incentivize California residents to file so many lawsuits mm-hmm. that the porn industry has to move out of the state of California. Most major yeah. companies um, that I have spoken to uh, have have said they will move um, probably to Nevada. It's mm. probably where it will go. But then what's to say that, you know, emboldened by it passing in California, that other states won't begin Absolutely. doing the same thing, you know? So, I mean, Nevada is a little different. Like, you know, obviously we're talking about <laughs> Nevada here, not like, you know, Missouri still. Yeah, and I mean, the, the small companies, the other thing that, that people don't really realize about not only the porn industry, but all entertainment industries right now is that the atmospheres, the environments have changed so drastically, even just in the last 10 years. For example, you look at mainstream Hollywood. Mainstream Hollywood used to be back in like the 50s and 60s, um, like a few big studios, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. like Warner Brothers and, you know, whatever the hell, uh, a few big studios. And then, like, contracted stars who worked for those studios. And that was the industry. 
And as we've, like, evolved and as our economy has, like, you know, left and, di- and dived down, um, you now see, like, all these uh, movie stars doing, like, water commercials and doing, like, voiceover spots. Like, they're all hustling. It's mm-hmm. the same as we are. Um, because the industry, the entertainment industry and the economy and, and our culture has changed. You know, a lot of uh, pirating of media has led to this, um, how accessible um, movies, TV shows, and pornography have become on the Internet because of media pirating. It's a mm-hmm. huge problem in the porn industry and a huge problem in the mainstream film industry. And like the mainstream industry, the porn industry is not just a few big companies with, like, millions and millions and millions of dollars who, and then, like, just a bunch of little, like, vulnerable performers, most performers are also content producers at this point because of the way the industry has has worked out. It's moving away from big studios, and it's moving more towards individual performers creating their own content and marketing their own content towards their already pre-established fan bases. So... All of this, like, rhetoric that Bill uses about, like, these dangerous porn- pornographers who are taking advantage of these, like, susceptible, vulnerable, innocent porn performers, and they don't care about their well-being, it's nonsense on a base level, and then it's nonsense because most of us, the way the industry works is that most of us are already our producers. Like, we are our own producers. Like, we are true to ourselves well because we are, you know, producing our own content. So yeah, like when it, when they use all this rhetoric, like, well, this is, this is to like regulate the pornographers, that the pornographers are the problem because they're like the callous, uncaring ones. Like we're trying to save the performers. At this point, most of, most of us, mainstream, indie, queer, or otherwise, are one and the same. Mm. So it hurts us and it hurts the performers because what the industry looks like now is that we're, we're also mostly producers. So I think it's really important to, talk here about what's said about the idea of a lot of porn performers being freelancers. We can identify with this, even if we are not um, adult performers ourselves. We are, a lot of us are burlesque performers. A lot of you listening are burlesque performers. And you know what it's like to have to hustle, right? Sometimes we have to be performer, producer, promoter, all of these P things, apparently, right? All of these things all in one. And it's no different in the porn industry. And so, A proposition like this would not only affect the large industry as a whole, but would really affect the more the hustlers, right? The people who are really trying to make it work on on the smaller scale. So I think that was a really, really important point that was uh, made there. So clearly not good for the porn industry in California, for the porn workers in California, right? Not a good thing. I've been hearing a lot about this, and obviously a lot of these things that we have already, that Andre has already mentioned, raised red flags for me. But the biggest thing that shocked me when I heard about it, when I heard, when I first heard about Prop 60, was the privacy issues. The instant that one of these lawsuits becomes public, right, gets filed and becomes public, all the information regarding the porn performers in that um, in that particular uh, clip or film or whatever it was becomes public. And Andre's going to tell us a little bit about what that means and why that is so detrimental and setting such a bad precedent. The privacy concern, which is equally as legitimate and much more terrifying than mm-hmm. the prospect of losing our jobs mm-hmm. for those of us who are involved in the industry, and that is um, the public gaining access to our private government information. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I am I am kind of a rarity in the sex industry. I am someone who 
flies their freak flag very high. Like, my identities are very closely connected to each other. I've always been radically out, and I have no regrets about that. But most people, especially folks with families and children um, or folks who got into porn maybe a little later in life after they already had, like, a career running parallel to that, um, work very diligently to keep their private lives private, um, not just because they could lose a job or because people might, like, give them like the side eye in the grocery store, but because men in particular who consume our work oftentimes feel entitled to additional contact with us, um, contact that they actually aren't entitled to. But when you watch enough scenes of someone having sex, sometimes you can feel like you know them in Mm -hmm. a way that you definitely don't, Mm -hmm. but it's like the illusion of a connection to a person, right? Mm -hmm. And and this is very real, and this is where a lot of um, a lot of stalkers and kind of like crazy fans come out of the woodwork. Are these these usually men who feel entitled to our our bodies and our attentions and our lives, the personal details of our lives, um, and then get very angry when we put boundaries down about that. Mm-hmm. And so, when someone files a lawsuit, regardless of um, how it progresses from that point on. The first kind of mode that it goes into is called public discovery. And while it's in that mode, all of the people in question, the performers in the scene, um, the producers, et cetera, et cetera, um, all of their government information becomes a matter of public record that is very easily accessible online. So like that crazy fan that's been sending me hate mail for you know the past two years, for example, few clicks of the mouse and he can get my legal name he can get my address he can get my children's names um if i have kids like all of a sudden we are at a significant security risk um we've already had workers in los angeles because remember there is a mandatory condom measure active in los angeles there have Mm -hmm. already been documented cases of female workers who have had to move and go to safe houses because because they had lawsuits filed against them for doing a condomless scene, and their information was made public, and they started receiving blackmail threats, harassment, physical threats to physical harm um, to themselves and their families, and they they had to hide. And so this is like a very this is a very very real and emotional concern for a lot of us. So though we had touched on it a little bit, I really wanted to hear Andre kind of uh, give us in a nutshell. How is this going to affect, as I put, Joe California, whether that Joe is male or female Joe, I don't care. But just the average, your everyday average Californian person, as some of you may be, you may not be affiliated with the porn industry. You may not even consume porn, perhaps, although I might be doubtful on that. (laughs) But you may not be anyone who would be directly affected. So why should you care? And here's what Andre had to say. There are a million reasons why this bill is bad. Like the, you know, number one is like it doesn't just have implications for people inside the industry. It has implications for every single resident in the state of California. Let's say that a couple, um, maybe a married couple, an engaged couple, or just a couple who's dating, they decide, uh, you know, to get a little crazy one night and make a sex tape, and maybe they put it on like an amateur porn website for like the attention and like the exhibition ism of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they didn't wear a condom in that scene, they can be sued by any resident in the state of California. Or let's say a woman sleeps with a man and uh, unbeknownst to her, he records their experience. And maybe when they stop dating, this is referred to as revenge porn. When they stop dating, he puts up that 
that video of her out of spite or cruelty, right? If someone views that video, they can sue her, <laughs> even though she didn't consent to that content being put online. So it is not just, it's not like we're all going to go out and get, like, car, we'll, we'll be all be, like, card-carrying, like, porn industry participants, and right. only those card-carrying participants can be sued. It's any kind of perceived mm. um, adult content on the Internet. Also, like, in terms of private residents being able to sue workers in labor industries, this is entirely new ground. There is no other industry where a civilian not involved in that industry can successfully sue and settle a lawsuit because they deemed the person in that position to not be acting uh, to the safety accordances that they would prefer them to act. Like, for example, if I walk by a construction site and I see a construction worker eating his lunch, like hanging out on a beam, and he's taking his helmet off and put his helmet down next to him. I'm not allowed to go call in a lawsuit and sue that that worker because to my standards and my expectations, he's not being as safe and healthy as I would like him to be. Mm-hmm. That is the far-reaching implications if this bill passes. That mm. will open the door for private citizens to be able to sue any member of any industry if they deem them to not be working safely to their satisfaction. Also, the incentivizing of these lawsuits, the fact that if you do file a lawsuit and that lawsuit settles against a porn performer, performers and their production company, um, you receive 25% of that settlement. Mm-hmm. They're monetarily incentivizing California residents to file lawsuits to go on witch hunts across the Internet. Um, maybe they have a personal bias, see where they can get that performer, you know, because they don't like that person because of their the way they look or their politics or the kind of content they do. So it's incentivizing residents in a really, really scary, damaging, witch-hunting way. The far-reaching implications that it has for any labor industry in the state of California, if it passes, in my opinion, should be enough um, as the fact that you don't have to be a porn performer for this bill to to get a lawsuit filed against you. You don't have to identify as a, a sex worker to get a lawsuit filed against you. All you have to do is have content of you either consensually or non-consensually put up on the Internet without a visible condom. Also, Michael Weinstein, if the bill passes, he gets a shiny new full-time state-funded position as basically like the czar of, of porn. And he gets to sit behind a desk and watch and police pornography all day long. Did I mention that if he filed a lawsuit on behalf of AHF against any of these porn scenes that he's reviewing, AHF gets 25% of the settlement? Hmm. So now you have a built-in payment program for keeping AHF alive in this time where HIV is no longer um, a death sentence, where people are living happily and healthily with HIV. Also, it's it's regulating bodies. Um, again, like there are so many deep parallels to the reproductive health rights movement. As porn performers, we are sexual professionals. Like when you get a cold, you go to a doctor because they're a medical professional. When people in my life have a sex issue, they come to me or they ask for resources in my community because they know that we are sexual professionals. We literally do this every day as part of our job, and we get paid for it, Um, which means that we are, on the average, more knowledgeable about things like harm reduction and risk assessment strategies around the transmission of HIV or other STDs than the average citizen. So 
he'll swoop in and tell any person what they should or shouldn't be wearing for protection, how they should or shouldn't be protecting themselves while they're having sex is ludicrous. Like like any private citizen to swoop into the private citizen's bedroom and say, excuse me, sir, like you should be wearing a condom while you receive that blowjob. And if you don't, we got a 170 grand lawsuit waiting for you <laughs> is insane. I think everybody can agree to that, right? So why isn't it additionally insane to swoop in on a community of people who are the upper echelon of folks who know how to take care of themselves sexually? You know, it's it's offensive. It's condescending. Um, we refer to it as Captain Savaho in the, the <laughs> sex industry. You know, of these of these oftentimes right wing anti traffickers who kind of swoop in and are like, "Oh, these poor sex workers. We have to protect them because they can't protect themselves." And it's it's just ludicrous. You know, it's telling not only Joe California what they can do to their body, but Joe California who essentially has, like, a Ph.D. in preventing STDs, what to do with, with his body. And then, again, the labor industry. It's like any – if this passes, there is no labor industry that will not be susceptible to a similar bill. Um, and that is so dangerous. Also, the porn industry lives in California. Like, people shoot porn all across the country, but the porn industry is – it lives in California – there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs connected to the porn industry. If the industry leaves California, California's economy will do a nosedive. It will lose so many jobs. <laughs> we are inc- like uh, incentivizing increasing lawsuits in the state of California and at the same time incentivizing the loss of hundreds and hundreds of jobs and, and so much money from California. I'm not like a financial advisor. I don't have actual numbers on this, but uh, the data has suggested that the economy would significantly suffer were the porn industry to leave the state, which is what would happen um, if this does pass. Um, So, yeah, so, like, you know, a lot of implications for Joe California. Also, you know, like, ethically speaking, if Joe California is a porn consumer and he is a sex-positive individual who, like, really loves consuming porn, and he cares about, you know, maybe he's a fan of, of some porn performers in particular, and he cares about their well-being and, and, and respects them in addition to being, you know, a fan of their work, um, just knowing how much this would hurt us, just knowing how deeply it would hurt and destabilize us financially, um, housing-wise, being able to put food on the table, um, Stress-wise, uh, it's it's just hopefully he would care, you know, if he were if he were so inclined to <laughs> to see sex workers in that that multifaceted light. Hopefully, he would care. We continued by chatting a little bit about what would happen if this bill passes, right? If we have something like prohibition suddenly coming into effect. It's it's not exactly prohibition, but it's that same idea. When we have things that are prohibited, they often just go underground and become less safe, right? So in this in this next little part, we chat a little bit about what would happen in that particular situation and what, what the porn industry wants, right? Because as Andre mentions, you'll hear her mention, the porn industry needs a lot of things. It needs some help. It needs some more regulations, perhaps. But this is not one of them. It's also like super futile. Like if you look at any kind of alternative community that has been legally pushed like has been literally shut down, it doesn't go away. It just goes underground. Right now, the porn industry could use a lot of things. This is like what's so maddening to me is that if Michael Weinstein actually cared 
about making porn performers safer and making them more comfortable and making sure that they were healthier and happier. Then he would sit down with the porn industry and ask them what they need, ask them what they want. There are lots of things that we could use. We could use increased workplace protection. We could use um, Mm -hmm. implementation of uh, of policies that would make porn sets uh, friendlier to those coming forward who um, maybe have been victimized on a porn set, assaulted on a porn set, make it a, a friendlier place and a more open place for uh, folks to report sexual assault when and, and if it does occur on, on a porn set. Um, health benefits, like working to recognize, even though the porn industry is a legal industry, it still is not universally recognized as legitimate labor. And because of that, porn performers don't have the same health care benefits or um, vacation pay, you know, or any of the other uh, benefits that, that most of their labor industries um, uh, utilize and provide to their employees, um, we're all still essentially freelancers, you know. So if a porn performer breaks a leg, she's out of work mm-hmm. and uh, she goes broke because she's out of work and she's mm-hmm. got no income coming in, you know. So... There are so many ways that we could um, that we could improve the industry, the, and the industry is not against condoms by any means. Like I myself have forever been in the four years I've been in the industry a condoms only performer. I just would never even begin to try and pretend like I would know what's best for another human being mm. in terms of their own safety. As we continued chatting, I realized something, and and that is the condoms part of the bill. Right. The idea that performers should wear condoms <laughs> here. There's me using the, my favorite word should <laughs> the idea that performers would be required to wear condoms in scenes. This is one of those things that I think could be debatable. Right. This is an issue that we could chat about. We could have arguments on both sides. We could talk about it. I me, I'm kind of on the fence about it. But I mean, I'm not in the industry, so it's not really for me to say. But I'm learning and I could debate that issue. But here's the thing. It's a moot point because the other parts of the bill are so fucked up. Right. So it doesn't even matter about the condoms issue. But we did chat a little bit about the condoms issue as a whole and then why it really just doesn't even fucking matter anyway. Like I, I will very happily debate the condoms being a good idea. So as of 2013, um, mm-hmm. the CDC uh, released a statement in 2013 um, citing condoms as only being 70% effective when utilized correctly. Whoa. So n- no, I swear to God. Oh, so, wow. um, condoms, as of the most recent statement by the CDC, are only 70% effective when utilized correctly at preventing the transmission of STDs because... They might be, they are better, um, they have a better effect, effectiveness rate at preventing pregnancy because you can only get pregnant through ejaculation, right? Sure. But if you're talking about transmission of STDs, there is an entire general area around the actual penis that you are being exposed to, even though the person has a condom on, that they, if they are positive for something, you will get it, <laughs> not like in the ejaculation, you know, necessarily all the time. Um, there are many communicable STDs that are just based on skin-to-skin contact. Mm-hmm. So that is why they only actually have a 70% effectiveness rate um, when it comes to preventing the spread of STDs. Okay. Not only that, the condoms were not created for porn. Condoms were created to be worn for 20 to 30 minutes of penetrative mm. activity, which is the national average. So when you ask somebody who is getting penetrated for five or six hours mm. at a time to mandate the use of condoms, 
there is a real thing that happens in the condom industry. It's called condom burn. It is a very, like, irritable, awful-feeling, burn-like rash that one gets from being penetrated with a condom for a long enough period of time and or vigorously enough. And so when you're on set, like, if you're on it, like, for me, again, I'm condoms only. So when I'm shooting with male co-stars, we're taking lots of breaks for both of us. We are varying what kind of penetration is happening. Um, We're frequently changing condoms. We're using, like, an excess of lubricant to, like, the ninth degree because lube definitely helps. Mm -hmm. But usually, in the end, I walk away from that porn shoot a lot more sore than if I hadn't used a condom, A, and B, if I'd just been having, like, recreational sex in my bedroom. When the skin is abraded like that, it shaves off, like, the top layer or two of the skin, Mm -hmm. right? It makes you more susceptible to absorbing any kind of infection that you might come in contact with. So it is very legitimate. I mean, it's it's been a point that has been downplayed because there are so many, like, quote-unquote better points um, as to why this bill is terrible. Right, right. On, like, a basic level, um, it's painful, uncomfortable, um, and it could actually make us more susceptible to infection if we are doing a scene where we're receiving, like, long-standing vigorous penetration with condoms. But speaking of the condom issue, Andre makes a really great point about what this bill, this proposition does, the way it approaches porn consumers, right? And the what it apparently thinks of us as porn consumers and the double standards that exist between the porn industry and the regular movie industry. So let's listen in. This bill really is underestimating porn consumers because to look at two individuals having sex and not be able to see a condom and think that you know how safe they are actually being, mm. like what risks they are actually exposing themselves to, just by looking at two strangers who you've never met or had a conversation with bodies, um, there are all kinds of invisible ways to practice safer sex, mm-hmm. such as taking PrEP, which does not prevent against ST- other STDs aside from HIV or pregnancy, but is proven through much research and 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 widely lauded studies to be incredibly effective at preventing HIV. You can't know by looking at a porn scene if someone's on Truvada or not. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's an invisible thing. Um, mm-hmm. Also invisible, you don't know the last time that person was tested. When civilians find out that the porn industry self-regulates so strictly and that every single person on camera has been thoroughly tested in a very comprehensive list of transmittable STDs and STIs um, as recently as they have been and had to basically pass muster before Mm -hmm. they they shot with those other individuals. That's another invisible layer of protection that people are using. Also, you don't know if that person's on birth control, if it's someone who can get pregnant who's getting you know, fucked by a penis um, that's uncovered. You don't, you know, is that person on birth control? Birth control is not a visible method of protection, yet we universally accept it as a, well, not universally, most of us accept it <laughs> as a nation, you know, as as a as a effective way to prevent pregnancy. Right. So there are all these invisible ways to protect yourself that to, like, the untrained or uninformed eye might look like less or no protection, but... I don't think any reasonable person would agree that by looking at a frame of two people having, two strangers having sex, they can immediately deduce exactly how risky that sex they're having is. I mean, that's insane, right? That's, that's, you can't do that. 
And I think that is just such an important point, right? Because if we were to watch an action movie and somebody is jumping from one building, Bruce Willis or somebody, right? Maybe somebody younger now <laughs> is jumping from one building to another building. We don't immediately get up in arms about the safety of that actor because we know we trust that the production company has taken the proper precautions to make sure that that actor is safe or the stunt double or whatever it is. And then occasionally you hear about actors doing their own stunts, hurting themselves on set, and you don't see any like private citizen or organization or inter-industry coalition coming up and saying, this industry is like ridiculous and harmful because it's not protecting its workers and doesn't respect them and like... Yeah, and you also don't want to die hard and get, like, a 10-minute gun PSA in the beginning right. of it about how oh. they're handling automatic weapons in a way that isn't, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I we do. We don't it's... treat anything else in our culture like we treat pornography. Mm-hmm. And such a double standard. I don't know if we're mm-hmm. ever going to wake up about it. So I think that's a really interesting point about the double standard that exists as well. Of course, before we wrapped up, I really wanted to find out how we're doing. And we, by we, I mean everybody who believes that Prop 60 should not pass, right? How is the fight going? It can be tough sometimes. And I wanted to hear with less than a week before the election how things are going for the fight. Right now, literally, we are neck and neck, um, which is huge. Mm. Because when this bill first got rolled out, um, it was like, and and these are rough estimates. I don't remember the actual numbers, but I know the L.A. Times, if you look up the L.A. Times, they did, um, they've done several polls of their readers over the course of the, uh, of the, like, you know, upcoming election season. And in the beginning, it was somewhere around, like, 20% were opposed, were on, like, the no on Prop 60. Um, 20% were undecided and 60% were for, which many people fall for the wording of it Mm -hmm. because they lash onto this very clever and misleading Mm -hmm. tagline and folks are falling for it left and right. But now the LA Times did another study about a week or two ago, and now we are neck and neck with the opposition. It's around 40% yes, 40% no, 20% still undecided. So we are, we are gaining incredible traction, which is, which is so impressive when you think of the fact that, um, and this is public information. I think Wikipedia has like the numbers on how much each side has given to their campaign so far. Mm -hmm. And, as of a week or two ago, uh, Michael Weinstein, a.k.a. the AIDS Health Foundation, has poured $4 million, Ooh. over $4 million, into the F on Prop 60 campaign. Which, when you oh, think yeah. about it, couldn't the AHF use that $4 million for a lot of other uh, really makes me sick. Yeah, and then That's our cool. side has, hasn't even reached a million. I mean, we're, we're so grassroots, um, yeah. even the major companies that can afford to throw in, like, uh, like Vivid, I think, threw in, like, 100000 or 200000 Um And that was, like, that was that was the best we had. <laughs> like, mm. Monetarily, that was the best we had. So all of this has just been us campaigning and talking to people and going to college campuses and going on radio shows and, like, holding uh, fundraising events and just beating the sidewalk. You know, like, this is, like, th- this is the game that we've had, just beating the sidewalk, like, grassroots with no money and so i i'm scared to get hopeful Mm -hmm. um but i but i am i am actually hopeful and lastly because i knew that a lot of you might be interested in helping out or at least getting some more info i asked andre where we can go if we want to find out more about the fight against prop 60 so if you want to get more information about Proposition 60, um, there are a few different websites you can visit. 
Um, the first is the Free Speech Coalition website, um, the SS, the SSC. They are the, um, the inter-industry, uh, performer advocacy group. Um, they are the one who rolls out our really stringent and effective testing strategies. Um, and they're the organization that is really heading up the No on Prop 60 campaign. The website is freespeechcoalition.com. Okay. Um, you can also go to another website, stop60.com. Also okay. has a lot of really good information about um, the bill and why it's harmful. Um, and even if you don't live in the state of California, chances are you know someone who does mm-hmm. or is like, one of the people close to you has friends or family that live out there, and really just utilizing social media, um, utilizing the Internet to educate yourself first, and then utilizing social media just to get the word out. Um, every vote vote of no counts. Absolutely. We see and feel every vote of no and really appreciate it. Um, and folks can always contact me personally for, like, resources or information around it. Um, I'm at Andre Shakti, um, S-H-A-K-T-I, on Twitter, I'm uh, Andre Shakti on Facebook, um, and yeah, I would I would love to. Um, however, I can enable you to spread the word of No on 60. Please let me know. Myself and many members of my community have been suffering financially um, mm. the past few months because of all of the unpaid labor that we are putting into this bill. So yeah, we're all doing this for free, just in the hopes that people will like realize how how incredibly um, misguided and detrimental it Absolutely. is. So clearly they are in need of some financial resources. You know, they are fighting against a huge, almost unlimited pocketbook from the AIDS Foundation. And so they really, really need um, financial donations. So even though we're in that crunch time right before, I'm sure that any donation is more than welcome. So definitely head over. I'll have the link in the show notes page for this episode, which will be at burlesquestripdown.com slash prop 60, P-R-O-P 6-0. And you'll find um, not only the website, the instructions on where to go. There should be a donate button um, right on the screen of the website once you visit it. So definitely think about anything that you can donate will help out, I am sure. Once again, a huge thank you to Andre Shakti for coming on and uh, explaining um, kind of some of the nuances of this bill. I, I hate how our political system works, that they can name something really just like pretty sounding and then people are going to vote for it. You know, this happened a long time ago with the Defense of Marriage Act, the DOMA, right? It sounds so nice. Yes, we want to defend marriage. Okay, great. Or even, you know, we've got these political groups like the Family Coalition or, you know, whatever the fuck they're called, right? And they sound so nice, but they are spewing so much hatred and badness and negativity and things that affect us. And we don't realize it because these things are buried in the bill. Now, before we wrap up today, I do want to do a quick rundown of some of the big takeaways that I have had, um, both from my interview with Andre Shakti, as well as some of the outside research that I've done. In particular, um, so Andre and I did kind of... um, We touched on some of the basics, right, of this issue. If you want to get further information, obviously we gave you those websites, the Free Speech Speech Coalition, as well as Stop60.com. 
There's also, um, I actually listened right after my interview with Andre, I actually listened to an episode on Sex Out Loud with Tristan Terramino. She has an episode on Proposition 60 that features Eric Paul Liu, who is the um, campaign manager of the No on Prop 60 campaign. And he's also the executive director of that free speech coalition. And then also Ella Darling, who is a porn performer, and she's also the president of the Adult Performer Advocacy Committee. And those two have some really great insights. A lot of it is very similar to what we talked about with Andre, but they kind of go into some different and more um, and more detail as well. So from this, both this interview as well as that episode on Tristan Terramino's show, I have a couple takeaways. This is not by any means an exhaustive list. These are just some big things that kind of stuck out to me. And I would encourage you to not only consider these in your mind, but kind of use some of these and some of the others as talking points when you're discussing this issue with people who do live in California. Number one, condoms are not the only effective method of HIV and STI protection. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're not. As Andre and I mentioned, you don't know what um, performers and producers are using to protect themselves. Just because you can't see a condom does not mean that there is not protection in place. Number two, the industry is already extremely active in regulating the sexual health of its performers. I was I was floored when I saw that they have to go in, you know, twice or um, every other week to get tested every 14 days. It's, you know, it's, it's part of a database. It's all of these things. They're already doing this. Of course they're doing it. Why wouldn't they be doing it? Of course they want to curb um, transmission of STIs. Duh. Yeah, they're already on it. Thanks. We don't we they didn't they don't need lawmakers to tell them that that's a good thing to do. Number three, of course, the wording of this preposition, of this proposition, excuse me, of the title and as well the ballot summary, which I read, is entirely misleading. It's completely, it does not tell you any of the details. And that's a huge problem because people who have not heard of it will be going into the ballots on election day or when they've early voted and they're reading just that summary and voting based on that. And that does not tell you all the details. Number four, there's a there's a, a phrase that's mentioned in the Sex Out Loud episode, and and Andre basically touched on it here, but I just love the way it's it's phrased in Sex Out Loud. It's incentivized harassment. That's essentially what this bill is, what this proposition is. Incentivized harassment. Period. Number five, it sets a very dangerous precedent for this incentivized harassment for civilians to begin policing private industries to earn money or to settle a personal vendetta. This is setting a very, very dangerous precedent. Number six, it creates a scary new job for Michael Weinstein as the porn czar, right? And he's going to get all the taxpayer money to do that job. So all of these things that could be better, you know, all this money that could be better spent on roads or schools, it's going to go towards this so he can just kind of what, watch porn on his computer all day and look for condoms or visit sets and try to, you know, raid them for their condom use. Ridiculous. Number seven, all the money from this campaign. <laughs> OK, so we mentioned the the unlimited pocketbooks, all the money from this campaign for the campaign coming from the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, those empty, almost unlimited pocketbooks. Think of all the other things that could be being used for, like, I don't know researching on how to, you know, on curing AIDS or, you know, other forms of, of curtailing the transmission, um, educating our youth in how to have safe sex, not not trying to force these things on performers and producers who already know how to have safe sex. Ridiculous. I'm going to say that a lot. Ridiculous. It's all ridiculous. Number eight, 
This is this was summed up nicely in um, the Sex Out Loud episode as well. When the vast majority of the people that would be affected by the measure, as well as all political parties and hundreds of other advocacy groups from all across the board, not just liberal ones. If if all of these people are so actively and vehemently campaigning against it, then it should tell the rest of us something. It should tell voters something. I'm not as knowledgeable about this proposition, but if if all these people are against it, well, then, I mean, that tells me that I probably should be, too. And number nine, Andre mentioned this several times, but is worth repeating. It is not only porn performers and the porn industry involved people that will be affected directly from the passage of this proposition. Any consensual or non-consensual, you know, quote, amateurs who are maybe goofing around and put their video up or they want to submit it or do this or do that and don't use a condom will be at or, or you can't see the condom will be at risk for litigation by these random watchdogs that will be out there just looking for these things so they can earn a quick buck. Ugh. Can you tell I'm angry? So for a quick recap on all of these points, as well as um, uh, a direct link to that other episode, as well as how to get in touch with Andre, head on over to burlesquestripdown.com slash prop60, P-R-O-P-6-0. And if you're all over the social media interwebses and you want to, you know, spread uh, spread the message and get it out there, use hashtag noprop60. That's the kind of general hashtag that's being used for this campaign. So if you live in California, vote no on Prop 60. Please, please, please. If you don't live in California, tell your friends who do live in California to um, to vote no. And make sure that whatever happens, whatever's on your ballot in your particular state, do your research. Find out what these particular measures mean. Don't just go based on the title of the proposition or the amendment or whatever it may be. Read into both sides. You have a few days left before that election on Tuesday. If you're not in America, thank you for sticking with us because I think this is really important. We are starting to see a lot of... um, you know, we're making a lot of progress in liberalization in these kind of things over, especially in some of the, um, quote, westernized countries. I hate that term, but you know what I mean. We're making a lot of progress legalizing gay marriage, things like that. But there's a lot of countermeasures then. There's a lot of pushback that happens from people who are super, super conservative in this social sense. So please keep up to date on your politics. Um, get active when something inspires you, when there's something that you feel passionate about. Get active, get the word out there and start these conversations. Because it's only when we're all able to, you know, kind of express ourselves in the ways that feel most authentic to us. And those things are still legal to do. It's only when we have those opportunities that we are able to stay sexy. Vote no on Prop 60. Vote for Clinton. Thank you. Love you all. Bye.